0: Uh, Well, I hope it truly is uh, an honor and a privilege to be an elder and a pastor here, Uh, and I mean that from uh, the bottom of my heart. It really is uh, an incredible privilege, Um, and it's a weight and a burden that I uh, happily carry, and I'm honored to do so. Uh, Well, before uh, I get going this morning, I just want to say a quick little blurb about last week. If you uh, did not, or if you weren't here and you missed Steve's message, and I really urge you to go back and and listen to that for a couple of reasons. One, it's just an incredible job by Steve of showing the weight of scriptures and how, how hope treats the scriptures as the authoritative word of God. And a living and active book that we can trust and lean on and is perfect. And secondly, I want to urge you to go back and listen to it because all of this sermon series, that sermon serves as such a foundational piece for each and every sermon as I talk today about Jesus and how Jake will teach next week about the spirit and then we end on community but if you haven't listened to that first one, then you could be a little lost at some of the, our thinking and some of the ways we go. So I really, really urge you to listen to that uh, sermon first, or to go back and listen to that before we move on with the rest of the series. Well, uh, throughout history, there's been terrible atrocities that have happened. And um, many of those atrocities have actually happened in the name of Christianity, regretfully. Uh, And many of those instances uh, where people have been enslaved or people have even been killed, uh, wars have begun and started, all in the name of Christianity. And in most of those instances, they typically will have a text from the Bible to even prove their point on some of these instances. We all know that the Bible does actually not intend those things, and that is a thing called proof texting, where people are pulling uh, one verse out of the Bible And they're trying to use that verse out of its context and out of its original meaning in order just to prove their own point. And most of the time it's their own agenda, their own power that is more important than what the Bible actually talks about and means. And from terrible atrocities to more common today, we see this used a lot today in political talking points and allegiances as people pull from the right and the left, and they use the Bible and really rip it to pieces on what they're pulling it from to use their Christian viewpoints. And we even see this uh, done on the highest level of presidents to governors, senators, to lower levels of just influencers, or even surprisingly, grandmas on Facebook. Um, So, but no different from terrible atrocities. These are just proof texting to get your points across, to prove your own power and your own agendas. But how does this happen? <clears throat> how do we get there? How do we pull something from a beautiful book that is meant to bring life and freedom and it used instead to oppress and enslave and do all those things? How do we go ter- so terribly far off from what the Bible intends? And that's by missing the very points of the Bible. And that's Jesus himself. When we take the Bible as the authoritative God-breathed book that it is, and we take it in the postures that Steve talked about last week, as we take it humbly, we take it reverently, we take it joyfully, then on every single page we should see Jesus come through, no matter what we're reading or where we're at. Because the scriptures reveal who God is, and they reveal the person of Jesus. And Jesus, as we're talking about today, according to the scriptures, is the full revelation of who God is. So that's where we're going today. I'm going to talk about Jesus being the full revelation of God, and then I'm going to end talking about how Jesus speaks to us directly through a surprising way with the marginalized people of the world. So the four points this morning are this. It's Jesus, the full revelation. Uh, Point two, what does Jesus say, and then what do we do with that? And then we're closing with seeing Jesus today. Take a moment just to pray to yourself before we get started. Uh, If you would, just close your eyes and ask God to speak to you for a second. Just ask that his voice would be clear to you this morning. Lord, we love you, and uh, we trust you, we trust your word, we trust your voice, and we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, to kick us off, I'm talking about... Uh, Jesus being the full revelation of God. In the passage that Steve read in John 5, we're really going to focus in on 39 and the rest was just more of a context for you. Uh, But Jesus is calling out the religious leaders in this text. And specifically, he's calling them out because they were angry with him because he had the audacity to call God his father instead of Yahweh. And they didn't like that, so they were angry with him. And Jesus, in verse 39, says this, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The religious leaders of the day did not just know the Bible, they like really knew the Bible. I'm sure most of us at some point have heard someone teach or speak or done something where they're just spouting Scripture from memory, and at least when I've heard that, I always stand back and go, man, like, they, like, really know their stuff. They, like, really know their Bible. They're not even using their notes, and they're just going for it, unlike I'm doing using my notes. But when that happens, though, like, take that and, like, multiply it by 100, And there you have the religious leaders, the people just completely immersed in the scriptures from such a young age, being taught the Old Testament was their Bible, and they were being taught the Old Testament for a young age, day in and day out, and not just learning what it says, but actually memorizing what it says, memorizing entire books of the Old Testament, and sometimes the entire Old Testament to some extent. And so these were men who were able to just rattle off a verse whenever they needed to, to prove a point, and most of the time proving the right point. They could argue the text, they could teach the text, and they knew it backwards and forwards inside. And out. these were men that knew the Scriptures. But somehow, all of that knowledge did not open their hearts to the eternal life of Jesus standing right in front of their face. Jesus states it plainly for us. He says, they, meaning the scriptures, bear witness about me. The scriptures are the ones that point us to Jesus and show us Jesus. But the religious leaders of the day proved a point that there is a way to read the Bible, to know the Bible, and even love the Bible. But miss Jesus completely in the process. All Scripture points to Jesus, and according to the Scriptures, Jesus is the full revelation of God. So how do we find Jesus in the Scriptures? What, what do we need to do in order to see Him? And first, I want to just read off a lot of verses that are all in John, and there's more that I have not picked to choose from I'm in different places from the Bible than John. But John seems to make this point abundantly clear over and over again. That Jesus is the one that we look to if we really want to see who God is. The scriptures reveal that to us, but Jesus is the one that reveals the exact character of God. In John 1, he says the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. In John 1:18, he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. <coughs> Excuse me. Then in John 5:19, truly, truly I say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing, for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. John 6:38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. John 8:19, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also know my father. John ten thirty, I and the Father are one. John twelve, forty five, and whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. John fourteen, seven, if he had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him, because they saw Jesus. And so on and so on, right? There are many verses we could read that point to this, but the point is the same. Jesus and the Father are one. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. And likewise, if you've seen Jesus, then you have seen the Father. Therefore, Jesus is the full revelation of who God is. Jesus speaks to us today by revealing the character and nature of God. So if Jesus is that, and I believe he is, and I believe scripture points us that way, then what does Jesus tell us about God? Who does he say that God is to us? Who does he say the Trinity is, the Spirit is? Who does he say the church is by his revelation to us? So let's just quickly, the next point, what does Jesus say? Let's look through the Gospels. And I'm just going to read off. I I just turned the page for each Gospel and just wrote down thing after thing, that it showed us. I'm just going to read that list off. And it starts with a blessing. Jesus was blessed by the Father before doing any work or ministry. He was tempted but did not sin. He preached the kingdom of God. He talked about not judging others. He talked about serving and helping people, about not being anxious. He talked about loving your enemies and praying for them. He crossed ethnic and cultural lines by taking or talking to a Samaritan woman. And also Canaanite woman, he calmed the storm, he fed the 5,000, he then fed the 4,000, he healed the paralytic, he healed the woman that had the issue of bleeding, he forgave the sins of many, he touched the leper on many occasions that would make him unclean, he healed numerous people on the Sabbath, breaking traditional religious law. Because it was the right thing to do. He set the demonic free. He went to the synagogue member's house and raised his daughter from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the widow's son from the dead. He wept at the loss of his friend. He asked the enemies to both be his disciples and a tax collector and a zealot. He based his entire kingdom on some fishermen. He healed the blind. He spoke up against false religious order at the day that oppressed instead of so set free. He went to eat at the house of sinners, tax collectors, and adulterers, so much so actually that people thought there's no way he's a religious leader because of how often he is around sinners. He washed the feet of the disciples. He continually sought out, befriended, and spent quality time with the least of all society. He spoke life into his disciples and empowered them to do the same work that he was doing. He spent time alone and away from the crowds praying and seeking his Father. He avoided the spotlight instead of craving it, and he taught people how to pray and many more things. But what Jesus ultimately speaks to us, and the ultimate revelation of who God is, is Jesus actually goes to a cross and is crucified for all of us. And on that cross, he says the words, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What does that say about God and who God is? What does that speak to us about the character of God? A quote going up on the screen by a theologian named Hans Urs von Balthasar, which is a great theologian name, right? I mean, top-notch. And he says this, being disguised... Under the disfigurement of an ugly crucifixion and death, Christ upon the cross is paradoxically the clearest revelation of who God is. An ugly cross, but that is the clearest revelation of God. Do you want to see who God is and look no further than the cross, the God who rescues his people? The God who, instead of staying distant and far off, enters into our pain and our suffering and takes it on for us. A God who takes on our sin for us. A God who takes on our shame for us. Like that is who Jesus is speaking of who God is. He experiences everything that we have, yet without sin, as God speaks his love for us on the cross. So how do people proof text To show their own agendas and power plays, because they take Jesus out, the very point of all scriptures. They twist things for their own instead of humbly, reverently, and joyfully coming to the text and asking where it points to Jesus. Any interpretation of scripture that we hold or any revelation from the spirit that we feel like we receive must first and foremost kneel at the cross of Christ and his authority there if our interpretation of scripture does not line with up with a God who would crucify get crucified for us then we need to go back to the text and do some more digging and asking questions and praying and we feel like we've heard a word from the Spirit, but what it's asking us to do or telling us to speak, if it doesn't line up with a God who would die for you, then we probably need to go and pray and ask God if this is really from him. We have to submit all of our interpretation before God, and specifically Jesus on the cross, because that's who he revealed God to be. So this is good news, right? This is all good. This is the gospel. This is God speaking to us and showing us who he is. But what do we do with that knowledge now? How do we apply that to today? How does this affect the way we live? Uh, A simple way to talk about this uh, is in three ways. And I'm stealing this from a couple other churches. I wish I came up with this, but I didn't uh, because it's really simple and clever. And so it says this. There's three ways that we need to do it affects our lives today. We need to be with Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. And we need to do what Jesus did. Those three things, we're going to talk about that here. Uh, First is being with Jesus. We study the life of Jesus. We meditate on the gospels. We uh, write notes about what his life was like and we see who he was. We spend time with him. We pray with him. We read about him and all these things because we want to learn from him and who he was because he's the example, the prototype, the, the forerunner of who we are supposed to be and meant to be in God fully. So we go to him constantly. We be with him Some of the best advice that I ever received, and I don't even remember exactly where it came from, uh, but it was good advice and I followed it, was to read the Gospels every single year and maybe even multiple times a year. And so every year for about five years now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have been a regular part of my Bible reading and sometimes multiple times. Because I want to learn about Jesus. I want to see who he is. I never want to study scripture without learning who Jesus is, at least a little bit. Because we want to see who he is, we want to see how he interacted with people. What he did when he was treated poorly, what he did when he was treated rightly, how he interacted with those who were against him, how he treated his enemies, what he did with people that were unclean and kicked out of society how he faced trials and temptation, how he faced hardship, how he prayed and spent time with the Father. We want to learn from Jesus. And so we need to spend time reading and studying the life of Jesus and who he is. We need to be with Jesus. And when we're with him, the goal is to become like him for the second thing. We don't want to just be with him and not be like him. We want to be like Jesus It should be our aim to become like Him. Not that we can ever fully attain that, but that is still our goal. As we learn from Him, we need to do the things that He did. We need to put practices in our life to become more like Him. Where do we need forgiveness? Where do we need to forgive other people? Where do we need healing from sin in our past or from different traumatic events we faced? Where do we need to deal with those things? What are areas that I need to press into my community more, in my church, instead of being alone? Because I have to press in so, or press in together and not be solo. As we learn about him, we should become more like him. And I have to confess, and hopefully I'm... Oh, I mean, I hope I'm not alone in this, but I hope that you haven't experienced this. Uh, I have to confess that there's so many times when I've come to my time with the Lord in the morning... So when I do it, you don't have to do it in the morning, but I do mine in the morning, where there's just been, like, it's like the perfect time with the Lord. Have you ever experienced this, where, like, you read your Bible, and the Word just comes alive to you, you journal, prayer's just, like, easy, you feel like you hear stuff, and then, uh, like, the coffee is just perfect, <laughs> the temperature in the house is perfect, you might even have a blanket, I don't know, it's just everything, just every single box is checked. And then I close my Bible, I get up, and five minutes later, I'm annoyed, frustrated, and angry at the people in my life and the things I have to do. Anyone? You there? Right. I hate you've experienced that, but I'm glad I'm not alone. So that happens, and that's missing the point. The point of being with Jesus is to become like him, and if we read his word and we just get up instantly and we're angry at the world, then we've missed the point of reading the Bible. And so we have to become more like him the more that we are with him so that we can go out into the world as we interact with people. He has changed us from the inside out so that we treat people more gracefully and we interact with people more and more the way that he did. And lastly, we do what Jesus did. We do the Jesus stuff. We stand up against injustices of our world. We speak up against false and religious talk and leadership that holds people in bondage instead of freedom. We empower those who are lower than us. If we are given leadership, then we don't lord it over people, but we humbly serve them. We are hospitable to people, and we break bread with people that are not just our friends, but even those that are strangers. So much of time of Jesus' time was spent Eating with people that, and Luke, he is actually accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was around people eating with them so much. Having people in your home <clears throat> is doing what Jesus did. We spend time away in solitude, silence, and prayer to be close with the Father. We fast. We commit scripture to memory to combat temptation. We speak prophetically with how the Spirit leads us. We pray for those in need healing. We teach the good news of the kingdom. We live as as though this isn't our home. We give up everything if that's what's asked of us. And one particular way that I have to point out of what Jesus did, um, this deserves its own full sermon, honestly, and more than just one. But I want to spend a little time just talking about it today. And that is specifically how Jesus interacted with the marginalized of society. The marginalized people in Jesus' day were not just on his radar, but they were an absolute priority for him on a daily basis to be around, to speak life into, to treat with dignity and respect, and to just befriend and live in community with them. You cannot separate those two things. You can't separate Jesus from the marginalized of his day. Like, you just can't do it if you just look and read the Gospels over and over and over again. And there's even stories that we take for granted, but if you really know the context, those people, most of the people he was around almost every day, were marginalized people of the lowest of all society in Israel at the time. But he made it a priority. I know this could be a hard thing to hear, but I believe it's true. If you are with Jesus, and you are really becoming like Jesus, then it is impossible to live a life that does not have the least, the last, and the lost around you. If you are really being with Jesus, like really spending time with him, and you're really trying to become like him, and then you really try to do the things he did, then it is impossible to not be around the marginalized of society. It's just not possible. If you search the scripture, we can't separate those things. I know it's awkward. I know it's weird. I know that kind of ministry is not the easiest, because, like, what do, what do I say coming from my background to someone who might be homeless? Like, it's, it's hard. I get it. But honestly, the, the Bible never promised us that it would be these easy and normal, perfect endings. It just tells us to be faithful. What if I get taken advantage of? You probably will. Honestly, someone, if you do the work with marginalized people, they probably will take advantage of you at one point or another, of your grace, of your time, of your money. But again, what I would say to that is the example we have is Jesus he was the example of a man constantly getting taken advantage of by everyone, including you and I. So he calls us to be faithful. And when we do this, we become more like him. We have a heart like his heart, and we see people the way that he sees them. Then some way, somehow. We see Jesus today, like actually see him. In Matthew 25, Jesus paints a provocative picture of the end times. And the nation's being judged, and he says this, I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty, you gave me drink, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me, I was sick, and you visited me, I was in prison, and you came to me. <clears throat> and the people he's talking to are just confused. They're like, "I don't. what are you talking about? like when did i see you like that i never saw you like that and then he responds and it's on the screen he says truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me somehow when we interact with the marginalized we are actually interacting with jesus himself and the reverse of this is true and the rest of the passage Jesus talked to the people who didn't do those things. He said, you didn't visit me. You didn't see me when I was sick, hungry, thirsty, a prisoner, naked, or a stranger. And they're confused again, like, when? What are you talking about? We never saw you like that. When did I see you thirsty? Surely, I would have helped Jesus. I would have helped you if I saw you. And he says, truly, I say to you, if you didn't do it to the least of these, then you did not do it to me. We talk a lot here, and rightfully so, about encountering Jesus and encountering the presence of God. But just maybe this morning, God is saying to you, hey, I'm so happy that you're spending time in my word. I'm so thrilled that you're spending time in prayer and worship. Keep doing those things. But all those things should point you to action of being with those that are the least and last and lost of society. So I humbly say this to you. Maybe you're struggling to hear God's voice because you're searching everywhere, but one of the ways that he tells you that you can find him with the marginalized people. Maybe your faith has grown stagnant because you're missing the place he told you to go to encounter him. And not that we use that to get to Jesus, but it's just a place he says to go that we serve those people. And somehow we're interacting with him. Matthew 25 paints a very real picture that if we stand before someone face-to-face and we scoff them or we mock them, then that is the same thing we're doing to Jesus. But honestly, I'm not so worried about people in this room doing that. I'm not so worried about us going face-to-face with someone and not helping them or at least being kind to them. Honestly, the main concern I would have for us in this room is that we would never actually be in proximity to those people to make that choice for ourselves and what we do. And in doing so, when we don't get around people like that, then all we're doing is insulating ourselves, not just from them, but from encountering Jesus himself. And we can't do that, church. That's why this year... The priorities of our church are prayer and mission. Because if you spend time praying with God and spending time with Him, if you're doing it right, then it moves you to be on mission. And if you're on mission right, depending on God, then it's going to move you back over to prayer because you need Him and you have to depend on Him to do it because it's messy and hard and we can't do it on our own strength. So we have to be a people that go actively to those in need. In the fall of 2022, I heard a beautiful series of messages on engaging the poor and the homeless. And of all the sermons I'd ever heard on this particular topic, this one actually stirred my heart more than anything before. And so when 2023 rolled around, I wrote down a goal, and you can still find it in my Evernote on my phone, A goals for 2023, saying how I wanted to be more involved with people that are in desperate need. Because as the pastor stated in the sermon series, uh, I never wanted to be a pastor who forgot about the poor. So I started researching local groups. This is in Midland where I lived. And I found one that I felt like, man, this is a good place for me to get involved in. I went and I talked to the leadership and I met with them. And like how I can get involved and the best way to do that And then I didn't do anything. And then I thought about it again. And then things started heating up with maybe moving to Houston and what that could look like for us. And so I didn't want to jump into a ministry and then just jump out of it a month or two later. And there's some wisdom in that. But then we landed in Houston in July. And I even thought I should go back to... uh, This homeless church down in Montrose that meets on Thursday nights that I used to be involved with, maybe I can go down there and help them, but I didn't do it. Things got busy, and I just never went. So this morning, I confess before all of you this morning, this sermon was particularly hard to prepare because I was so convicted by it. I had to confess to Jesus in the preparation of this sermon that I was a pastor who forgot the poor in 2023. I have to confess that the things I'm telling you to do this morning, I completely failed to do last year. But it may it not be that way this year. So hold me accountable. I want to do something this year. I don't want to just sit on the sidelines and be a pastor who forgets about the poor in 2024 as well. Whether that's just serving lunch or dinner somewhere, whether that's going back down to that uh, church on Thursdays in Montrose, or whether that's helping out with Crosswalk, with the Bible studies they do for people coming out of prison and transitioning back into society on Wednesday nights. One of those ways I want to get involved in in 2024 because I don't want to insulate myself from encountering Jesus like I did last year. So somehow, when we take the scriptures in humility and reverence and joy, we see God speaking that Jesus is his full revelation. And when we're with him, we become like him, then we should do the things that he does. And somehow, again, I can't explain it, but the Bible says somehow, when we do that, we're actually interacting with him himself. And we do that by seeing his face in the thirsty, the hungry, the naked, the stranger, the sick and the prisoner. I asked that the band would go ahead and come forward. Just bow your head and pray. And just sit with Jesus for a moment. Sit there in your own mind with him. Ask him to speak to you during this time, to to reveal himself to you. Like, what, what is he saying right now? What is Jesus saying right now in this moment? To you. Do you search the scriptures out of religious obligation, but you miss Jesus? Ask him to open your eyes, to see him in your Bible. Ask him to come alive to you. Do you neglect being with him? And you need to commit to learning from him and who he is. Have you learned so much, but maybe your life isn't that much different? Maybe you don't look that much more like Jesus than you did after you read your Bible. Is he showing you how to live, but you're refusing to do what he did? Maybe you're scared of what he'll ask you to do or comfortable with what you already have and you you just don't want to change. Or maybe your heart doesn't even break for the things that his heart breaks for. I may you repent of that and ask God to break my heart for the things that break yours. Give me eyes to see the way your eyes see, God. Were you like me in 2023? You know exactly what to do, but you're just not doing it. He's merciful. He'll forgive you. We may not be face to face with Jesus like the religious leaders were of the day. But Matthew 25 says we are. When we're face-to-face with a marginalized person, we're face-to-face with Him. Let's don't be a people who search the Scriptures but don't even find life standing right in front of our eyes. going to pray and then we're going to sing and you respond however he leads you the prayer team can go ahead and come forward to the front as well and Lord we just come to you right now and we just pray and ask that you would lead us during this time that we would respond to you during this time that you above every other voice would be the clearest right now in this moment to us that we wouldn't let this moment go by without responding to you how we need to if it's right there in our seat or if it's going to pray with someone, if it's confession or if it's praise, either way, Lord, I pray right now we hear your voice because your voice is the only worthy voice in the room right now. So we love you and we trust you. You're me pray. Amen.